Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. In the Gospel of John, we've been talking about these statements that Jesus prefaces with these two English words that, that we come up with that uh, are simply, I am. Now, I am is an introduction to about what someone's to reveal regarding their character, their nature, maybe their occupation, their vocation. But when Jesus says, I am, this is in the mindset of his audience. This is something that harkens back to the Old Testament scriptures, which is a revelation of the very name and nature and character of God. If you recall, when Moses went to the wilderness and he was really on the run from God and and had spent 40 years there wandering around that wilderness, uh, he sees this bush that is burning yet it's not being consumed. And so from the bush, he hears these words to take off his sandals for where he stands is holy ground. And Moses goes on to receive an instruction from God to do the very thing he did not want to do. He had dreaded it for 40 years, which was to go back and to face his past to go back into Egypt and to face the Pharaoh and those enemies of his past, those used to be friendly foes of his past. And God revealed to Moses when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell them I am who I am. Tell them the great I am has sent you. And Jesus now comes on the scene in the gospel of John and he begins with these statements of I am, and he goes through seven of them at least. There's probably a couple more of them we could find, but seven I am statements. And today I want to share with you the second part of a statement we shared a couple weeks ago where Jesus crouches two of these together almost in the same context. He first introduces in John chapter 10 this this concept of a, a, a sheepfold and a shepherd. And he says, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. In verse 7, it says, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And this would have given them a, a visual of a sheep herding and, and herdsman shepherding kind of a, a economy, a culture that they were very accustomed to and familiar with. And in this day, when a, a shepherd would have a sheepfold, the, the customary way of tending for the sheepfold would be that they would graze all day long, but when it would come time to put them to bed at night or to, to lay them down, that they would put them in a pen, in a sheep pen. It's not some kind of a crude thing to, to keep them all nestled together, but it is, it is maybe a stone wall with only one entry and one exit point. The same entry as the exit point. And so the shepherd, either this would be built to the back of his house or he would literally lie down right there at the threshold of the door so that none of the sheep could get past to get out at night or anyone else could get in that was not uh, privy to the sheep or had some kind of uh, rights to be there. And when Jesus says, I am the door, basically what he is revealing to them is that there is only one way that you are going to get to the Father. Jesus then says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But he says, I am the door of the sheep. There's also something interesting about Jesus revealing this door of the sheep concept that I think uh, all of these statements reveal something about Jesus, but there is a deeper theological concept 
that is being built here, and it's going to be revealed more and more throughout the teachings and life of Jesus. But he talks about how that anyone who comes any other way into the sheep pen, if they climb up the side of that wall, if they burrow underneath and come in, if they come any other way, then they're a thief and a robber. They've come in illegally. And so there was only one way by which the Son of God could enter the world legally to be incarnate, God in flesh, is that Jesus had to come through the birth canal of a woman. Mary was the favorite of the Lord, and so Jesus came lawfully and legally into this world because what the first Adam failed to do because of sin, the second Adam, Jesus, succeeded, and he was legally here by rights as the good shepherd, the door, the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus has come to declare to them that not only is he here as the only way, but he is here to show them the pathway that they could enter into true life. And that is an extension for every one of us in the room today. John 10.10, 10, he, he gives us a little bit of a, an explanation of something that is, I want to call this recurring in the life of a believer. He says this, that the thief does not come except but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus outlined these, this threefold purpose of the thief, to steal, to take away something from you, to kill and to destroy. And so it is something that is pervasive in the lives of all of us that even having accepted Jesus as Savior, even having walked in this life of faith, there is still a thief that is out there that is trying to rob from you, to rob your joy, to rob your contentment, to kill your happiness, and to destroy your testimony. You can be a blood-bought, born-again child of God, and still there is an enemy that is endeavoring and in, in hot pursuit of trying to take from you and to rob from you. Did you know that? Did you know that you are still susceptible to the elements of this world and the forces of this life, that there are still seasons that ebb and flow into your life? Of course you knew that. Of course you understand that just because you prayed a prayer one day, it didn't mean that you were now walking on the streets of gold, but you are still having to wake up every single day and make that decision again and again and again that though none go with me, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I am not going to allow the enemy of my soul to steal from me, to kill my joy, to rob my contentment, to rob my peace, because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If I base it on any other thing, if I, if I base my happiness, my, uh, my contentment on happenstances or circumstances, things that happen to me, then I am going to be like a wave tossed to and fro in the sea. But if I will settle my heart, if I will ground myself on the word of God, then and only then can I have that true commitment, can I have that true contentment that God is for me. Regardless of anything against me, God is for me, and that is enough. Now let's look at the second statement that Jesus really puts as a twofold into this, I am the door. Verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Well, look what Jesus is revealing to them. Just little by little, he's dropping a breadcrumb for the disciples that when they finally recognize that he is going to truly go to the cross, they dispute it and they say, don't, don't do this. What are you talking about? What are you doing? And Jesus says, wait a minute, I've been telling you this all along. 
Why are you so hard of hearing? Why are you so slow of learning? I have been telling you what's going to happen. The good shepherd who I am will give his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, but leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What Jesus is saying here isn't going to happen tomorrow, but this is the eventual reality of his destination. This is his destiny to lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 16, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Everybody say, one flock and one shepherd. Now, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd, not a good shepherd, not a pretty good tender of sheep, not a loving that's not a hireling, uh, not a loving shepherd, but he says, I am the good shepherd which brings into my mind, having already known the other parts of the story, another occasion by which someone comes to Jesus and calls him good, and he challenges them on their notion of good. And it's kind of like this, how good is good enough? We, we want to always measure up, or we want to know that we're getting the passing grade. We want to know that we've, we've settled the score, we've, we've done the right thing. How good is good enough? Did I make the cut, in other, in other words? Jesus is teaching, and this guy starts following him. And we know him only by his title, not by his name. We don't even know his name, but we know him as the rich young ruler. No doubt that people would have been impressed by a rich young ruler. And this was a guy that had been accustomed to hearing Jesus teach, and, and he was in Jesus' entourage. This happens a little bit later in Jesus' ministry. And, and he comes to Jesus with this one request. He says, Jesus, tell me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? How, how, how good is good enough? And he addresses Jesus and he calls him good teacher. Jesus, instead of answering the question directly, asks him, why do you call me good? There is no one good except for God. Now that in alone in itself is one teaching, but Jesus then springboards from there and goes on to answer the guy's first request. And he says, do what you don't want to do. In other words, do what, what is the most difficult for you. Sell all that you have and give your possessions to the poor. Now, the rich young ruler says, Jesus, from my birth, I have kept all the rules and all the regulations, all the commandments. I have been a good person. I have done all the right things. I have raised myself out of uh, 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 the kind of a lifestyle that is riotous and, and those companions of mine that, that may have all spent all theirs. I was a rich man. I was a young ruler. I've done all the good things. I've kept the law. I've kept the commandments. And Jesus said, only one thing you lack. Go and sell all your goods and give them to the poor. Now, we can't take that as a mandate from God that we should be having a vow of poverty and sell everything because God doesn't directly give us that commandment, but he knew what was in that man's heart. And he knew the very thing which he was holding on to, which he was known by, it was his status, it was his identity. It was really 
I think, had become an idol in his life. His money had become an idol, so much so that when Jesus challenges him with doing just one thing, Jesus said, you only lack one thing. He validated everything else the man had ever done. Yeah, you did keep the law. Yeah, you have been good in this area. Yeah, you have excelled in that area. Yeah, you're very impressive at all these titles and all this rank and this status. But now, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come back and report to me. We never find in Scripture where the man ever did that, where he ever came back. But when he said good teacher, Jesus challenges the notion of him being good teacher. And we have to wonder, was this just platitudes that the man was speaking about Jesus? Was this flowery and flattering words to try to get on a common ground with Jesus? Or was he recognizing in Jesus and calling him good, knowing that only God can be good? Now, when we look at it from that perspective, Jesus challenged to say only God is good. But now he's revealing, using the very name of God, the I am from the Old Testament verses, he's using I am the good shepherd. What is he doing? Jesus is equating himself with God. He is putting himself on the same level as God the Father. And then he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So here Jesus identifies as Yahweh of the Old Testament. In the first century Jewish mind, this was a reliable image of the most virtuous shepherd they had ever thought of. Immediately when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, there would have flashed before the first century Jewish mindset this age-old Verse probably was a song. It probably was rehearsed to them as a child of a a psalm that even you and I are are very fond of today. We see this uh, typed out, especially like in in times of of sorrow, times of grief. You you may go into a, a visitation service or a funeral service, and you will commonly see typed somewhere or read in the service the 23rd Psalm. It is the shepherd's psalm. And so when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, there would have surely flashed before their minds an image of what a good shepherd looked like. And this would have been the context and the baseline for which they would have derived what a good shepherd is. The 23rd Psalm says that this is a Psalm of David. David, a worshiper, probably this was a song, not all Psalms are songs, but this was probably one. And he put pen to paper as he began to rehearse unto the Lord what a good shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. God, Yahweh, Jehovah is my shepherd. And here's what David said. I shall not want. I shall not be in a place of wantness or lack. It's not saying that All of my desires have been fulfilled is saying that I have a provision that is enough for today. The Lord is my provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This was the image, this was the message, this was settled into their hearts as a good shepherd. And equating himself with the I am, Jesus is revealing, I am the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. I am the Lord, I am the very one that you have rehearsed and you have sung to and you have dreamt about and you have pillowed your head at night thinking of, I am that good shepherd. And here's what they would have thought about, is the great provision of their God. There is complete provision in the house of God, in the sheepfold of the Lord. They would have known that I don't have to have anything that is lacking in my life because God is my provider. How many can say today with confidence that God, Jehovah, is your supply? It is not your job. Thank God for your job. It is not your government as much as as they want to say we invest in the greatest military on earth. This military is not going to keep us safe and secure. Only God is our provision. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. As soon as we start to put our allegiance and our alliance on something outside of God and his word, then we become most vulnerable. Then we can be shaken. Then the thief comes in and begins to steal from us and is killing us. And if we're not careful and we keep that allegiance there, we will be destroyed. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. This is great provision. And then the next part of this psalm goes into the rest that God provides, that he makes us, he causes us to lie down in green pastures. It's been said about sheep that they will not drink from troubled waters, but they will drink from a smooth stream. And this is what happens when we place our trust in the good shepherd is that we have a rest and respite for our soul. We can lie down. We can lie down with peace knowing that regardless of all that rages in the world, all the bad news that you can find, and trust me, if you turn on the news, you're going to find more than 90% of it is, is negative. It's bad news. Why? Because bad news sells. Shock value and fear, that is what sells. That's what's pushed to the top of the feed. That's what is being fed to you. That is what is is motivating the advertisers to tell you, you need this next thing or you need that, that extra security. You need that more provision. You better make sure that you hedge yourself this way and you protect yourself that way. But God is coming to us in a whole nother way and saying, listen, if I am your shepherd, then you do not need to fear. There is a provision for you and there is a rest and a respite. Beyond that, There is something that the world cannot offer. It says here that he restores my soul. It is peace of mind. It is contentment of heart. It is anchoring our soul into the fertile ground of God's word. It is getting to the place where we say that this world has nothing to offer me. Though it's alluring and though it's flashy, I know that everything that that glimmers is not gold. That everything that shimmers is not silver. But there is a contentment in the word of God and that the good shepherd has provided me peace of mind that I don't have to fear. 
even in the valley. Now in a valley where the sun is coming in at a certain direction, there is a shadow that is cast to the other side of the valley. And the psalmist must have been very familiar with walking through the crags of the rock because he says that in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Here's something that an ancient mind had that, that maybe we don't, we don't really grasp as much, is that they recognize that the life that we're now living is not the only existence and not the only life, but there is life after death. And that for them, death is but a shadow. I can cast a shadow right back here because where the light is, is sitting. And if you were to stand right here on stage, I could hit you with my hand, but my shadow cannot hurt you, can it? You could step back just a couple feet, just out of my grasp, and my shadow can hit you all that it wants, and it would, it would just pass you right by. And here in the ancient mind, they knew that death was but a shadow, that life is but a vapor. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow, but death is only a shadow. And as I walk through that valley, I don't have anything to fear because the Lord is my shepherd. He is my guide. Just this past week, one of the great generals of our generation, Dr. Tom, Tim Keller, went to his eternal reward to be with Jesus. And here's what he said in his final words. He said, there is not one downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. See, he had this understanding that life in this earth suit, whether it's 70 years or 80 years, or by reason of strength, 120, it's never going to be long enough. And we're never going to be good enough. But if we will place our trust in things eternal, if we will set our hearts on eternity, because the Bible tells us that eternity has been written into the heart of man. It's written there in our hearts. We desire and we long for a city whose builder and maker is God. We may get a glimpse and a, a flash every now and then of, of heaven divine here on earth. We may see something that just elates us with joy at the, the birth of a baby or the, the great celebration of milestone or, or an achievement that is, has, has been long sought after. And maybe it brings us just this, this momentary joy, but we understand that, that that is fleeting and that it's been put there. It's been given to us as a deposit it is a, a, an earnest payment on something that yet is to be. And that when we leave this earth, this body lays down, this, immor this mortal will put on immortality. That we understand in Christ, having the good shepherd Jesus as our guide, that we don't have to fear death. And he says, I'll not fear the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff were used both for defense of the sheep in the shepherd's hand and correction of the sheep in a loving arm. Do you go to God and say, I yield myself to your correction? I yield myself to your direction, to your instruction? Guide my steps, O oh Lord. I don't know all that I need to know. I was sharing this a couple days ago with a pastor. He's pastored for five years, and we were, we were talking uh, about kind of the journey and, 
And uh, he said, how long have you been pastoring? I said, well, we're coming up on our, our 17th anniversary as a church. And he said, wow, that's amazing. I said, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's just by the hand of God. And he said, well, five years in, I'm still trying to figure things out. And I said, well, 17 years in, I'm still trying to figure things out. And my first five years, I think that I knew a whole lot more than I know now. I was assured of a whole lot more than, like they could have put me on a Q&A panel five years in, but now 17 years, you're like, uh, you know, it's the Lord that's my shepherd. <laughs> I don't want to presume to act like I know all these things. Because here's what I found is that the more you know of God, the more of God you desire to know. Amen. The closer you get to the fire, the more you feel the warmth and you want to be drawn like a moth to the flame to the fire of God. And there is a purging of the impurities. There is a purging of self. There is a, a, a burning off of the dross of all the things that, that we stood for. We think that we know the, the pretentiousness of our lives. It gets exposed to the flame and God reveals to us through his correction and through his rod and through his staff that he is the one that is running the show. Can anybody say he is the one that is running the show? He says, you prepare me a table in the presence of my enemies. God invites you to supper with the very people who despised you, that wanted to take you out, that lied about you, that, that worked deceitfully to get around you and to work around. God will make a dinner even in their very presence. And it's not so that you can walk in there and gloat, but it's so that you can go in and peace because he anoints my head with oil. Anointing was a, a form of, of protection. See, a sheep would, would go around the, the crags of the rock, would walk through these valleys, and there'd be sharp, jagged rock. And if the wool had grown long, as it usually did on these, these sheep, before they would go in to get it cut off, because cutting the wool was actually a loving uh, environment for the sheep because it would get so heavy they couldn't even hardly walk. But in between that period and the time of growth, in the time of heaviness, when, when we're growing in the Lord, we need that anointing oil because if, if our wool would get stuck on the crag of the rock, then we would get, we would get into the brush or in the, into a thicket and we would get stuck right there. But anointing oil would be there to help to put the wool down a little bit and to make it smooth so that we walk through. And every now and then you just need to get to a place where God applies the anointing oil on your life and you say, I am better for having it. I don't like the, the weight of the burden or the journey that I'm I'm on, but thanks be to God, he loves me enough that he has anointed my head with oil. And I can say of God that my cup runs over. I am full with joy, full with contentment, full with happiness and peace because God has anointed me. And he says, surely, this is a statement of confidence that I know this to be true. If anything else turns out to be false, I can say I'll stand on this. Surely, goodness, the goodness of God. I shall see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that doesn't mean going to church. That means being in the presence of almighty God forever. You know what goodness and mercy following you means? Is that when you exit an environment, when you leave a place, you leave a residue and an aroma of goodness and mercy because it follows you. 
you leave it behind you. Everyone that comes after you says, I am better to have been in their presence. That is what it means to be a sheep of the good shepherd. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now here is one of the the greatest blessings of life. Here is one of the, the most worthy desires and I think pursuits of attainment for any of us is to know and be known. This is why the dynamic of a child-parent relationship is not to be paralleled with any other relationship on earth. There is some dynamic about parent and child that, especially mother and child, that that child is known by that mother and somehow the child looks back and knows the mother. And here's what Jesus is saying. I know my sheep and my sheep in turn know me. There's been studies done about the, the birth of a child, how that uh, as soon as a child is born and they start to, to be able to make out any kind of images, they are searching eagerly for a face, for recognition. And, and you can see this when they finally catch the gaze of their parent, that a child will look into the eyes of their mother. There can be doctors and nurses and people clamoring in the room, but that child will find the face and gaze in the eyes of the mother. Why? Because for nine months, that baby has heard that mother's voice. That that child knows the mannerisms. That that child knows the routines and the rhythms of that mother. And so there is no knowing like the knowing of a parent, like the knowing of a mother and a child. And here's what Jesus is saying is that my sheep, the ones that belong to my fold, those who are under my onus, my ownership, I know them and they know me. Do you know him? Do you have that kind of love relationship with Jesus today? There is no greater human desire than to know and be known. This is true joy in life when you can know and be known. The only close rival to this is the love between a man and a woman. When in holy matrimony, a man and a woman come together in the bonds of marriage and they know and are known. It is a love relationship unlike any other. It is different in all aspects. It's unique. It's God-designed. It is God-ordained. And it's beautiful. It's knowing and be known. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. In John 15 and 13, it says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did, friends, is he laid down his life for us. He predicted as much. He said it was going to be this way. And then he says this in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Everybody say one flock flock. and one shepherd. 
See, Jesus predicts his purpose and then the overarching goal is not that we have 40,000 different denominations in Christian tradition like we have today in a Catholic church, in an Eastern Orthodox church, and a Protestant church, Jesus says there is going to be one fold and one shepherd. But before that, he says there are other sheep who are not of this fold. What did Jesus mean when he said there are other sheep not in this pen? Now, some have speculated in a really deep and far out way that Jesus is talking about aliens, <laughs> Life on another planet, another sheep, not in this fold. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to a Jewish audience here, recounting for them what a good shepherd looks like. And they already have a, a pretty good baseline based on the 23rd Psalm I just read to you. But then Jesus says in a springboard fashion, there are other sheep not in this pen, not in this fold, and they're going to come along too. They're going to be part of this too. And he's talking about the Gentiles. If you are not of uh, Hebrew and Jewish heritage and ancestry in this room, and most of us are not, then we are Gentiles. We have been grafted into the vine. And so the message first came to the Jews, and then Jesus is saying, there's other sheep. They're going to come along too. We're going to make this one sheepfold under one shepherd. The apostle Paul has to elaborate this for us on several occasions, but one I like the most is in Galatians 3.27. It says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is saying, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not physically in the flesh, which was of Jewish tradition, but now he equates baptism to that rite of circumcision. He said, if you've been baptized into Christ, then you have put on, there's like a garment, you have put on Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. And look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what is Paul saying here? All of the markers of delineation, all of the signs and stigmas and badges of honor and those of dishonor, all of the ways that we separate and segment people, all of the ways of segregation, I'm a Jew, I'm a Gentile, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm a slave, I'm free. All of these different designations, Paul is saying, listen, that all goes away in Christ because there is only one shepherd and there is one sheepfold. There is going to be a completeness, it's coming, and he goes on further to tell us what it is. If you are Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But wait a minute, Pastor Joe, I thought you said that only the Jewish people are Abraham's offspring. Well, in the old covenant, there was a separate people. There was a chosen uh, out of the nation's people. And they started with Abraham and they came all the way through to give us the Messiah, God's own special people. And this is what happened is the Messiah is that the Jews received it first. And Jesus said, wait a minute, there are other sheep not in this fold. And they're going to come along too. Why? Because there is one sheepfold and there is one shepherd. Amen. 
Red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in his sight. So in Christ, we lay down all of the titles. We lay down all of the designations. It's not big me and little you. It's you're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together, we will work until he comes. And that's why I've never had a problem with someone who says they're from a different denomination. People all the time ask, what kind of church do you pastor? Well, we're non-interdenominational. And then they usually say, oh, okay, is that Baptist or Pentecostal? Because <laughs> that's really the only non-denominational church. And I say, yes, we're all the above. We love Jesus. We belong to the great shepherd. There's one sheepfold. There's one shepherd. Jesus is this good shepherd. But let me ask you, is he your good shepherd? Can you receive in your heart that Psalm 23 revelation that he is your good shepherd? You see, no one is too far away. No one is too lost. If you listen today, if you can hear his voice calling, he is saying to you and he is saying to me, come, come unto me. Be known by me. Hear my voice. He says, my sheep know my voice and another they'll not follow. So regardless of your age, your denomination, your title, your background, come, come to Jesus. Receive the loving care and the provision of the good shepherd. Receive the peace of mind and the rest of heart. Receive the loving correction of a good, good father. Receive the anointing of the Lord that gets you through all the crags of the rock and all the troubled spots of life. He never said that life was going to be easy. He just said, I'll go with you even to the end. That's his promise because he is the good shepherd. They're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to come. If you need a refilling of the Lord today, if you need something from God, if you need to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be that good shepherd. Today is the day. Now is the time. This is the hour to come.